Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. The United Kingdom is a great country. Never, never been a good bet to bet against America. Hi, hello and welcome. I'm Royful Brown and this is Mid-Atlantic, the podcast that explores American and UK politics from the perspective of both sides of the Atlantic. Today, I am sat in Birmingham and we're going to tackle the political impact of an ageing Joe Biden. Joining me are experts Corey Bernard, Jarrett Kobach and Tanya Altrade, Aaron Fisher, Mike Donoghue and Steve O'Neill. We're going to begin with Robert Hur's report on Biden's handling of classified documents and we'll assess how this personal aspect influences views on his leadership and character and his mental acuity. Was the media coverage of Biden, especially regarding this report and the discourse on his age and mental capacity, fair when compared to that of Trump? With a significant proportion of Americans, including Democrats, now questioning his fitness for a second term, we'll ask the question of how does the media's portrayal uh, differ between the two lightly presidential candidates? This report should have been good news for President Biden. The special counsel said no criminal charges were warranted. But then there was the bad news. The report also said the president suffers from a faulty memory and, quote, has diminished faculties in advancing age, unquote. The president called a news conference with 15 minutes notice. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I'm the president and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad I let you speak. 
Biden defended himself after special counsel Robert Hur put out a 345-page report. It said Biden willfully shared and retained highly classified information when he left office as vice president. Some of the documents were kept in the garage. But the special counsel also said the president has poor memory and that during his interview with FBI investigators, Biden, who is 81 years old, couldn't even remember the year his son Bo died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. First, I'm, I'm just going to just jump uh, to you, Mr. Fisher. Is Biden too old? I think the short answer is no. He's obviously not too old because he's currently in the job. And by a lot of metrics, he's doing a, a good job. The qualifications for being president don't say anything about you have to be under this age to be president. And for whatever condition he's in or not in, People are going to have to decide, I think, based on the results. Now, a lot of people aren't going to decide on that. They're going to decide on these kinds of questions. But I really question whether or not there's a lot of people who uh, might have voted for Biden, if not for this report. Is there anyone who really fits into that? Um, I tend to doubt it. I think that what this report has done is harden opinions on either side of on issues of fairness. Um, people's partisan entrenchment has deepened. Um, I don't think this is particularly swaying anybody. Mike, does the U.S. media treat these two elderly men differently when it comes to their mental capacity? Yeah, I think they do. Obviously, I'm pretty biased, but it feels like the center or what we consider the center media or even center left media does seem to pick on Biden a little bit more, which honestly is probably appropriate given the position that he's in. He is the president. And if you keep messing up Egypt and Mexico, it's something that you want to pay attention to. But I think Aaron was right. I think the story and the report really just, it's just going to come down along whatever you were thinking prior to that. If you thought Biden was senile before, you're just going to say, oh, that proves it. And then if you didn't, if you think that he's just a normal kind of guy with a lot on his mind, you're going to push back about who released the report and why it included something of that sort of personal nature. Yeah, I think one thing to really keep in mind here is he didn't suddenly become old overnight. Like he didn't eat the wrong oatmeal and go from 35 and running marathons to a man in his late 70s. Like the guy was elected as an old man. He still, as it turns out, is still an old man. And I think that the, honestly, the media needs to look in the mirror quite a bit here because what our media really thrives on is less left, right, and more sensational at all costs. And by most accounts, he's had a pretty boring presidency that's been at this point looking like it's been pretty successful. The economic conditions are all pointing in the right directions. Despite endless attempts to manufacture scandal, there really hasn't been much. And things are plugging along and that doesn't really make for good newspaper sales or ad sales online when you've got a guy who's been boring and we're getting Trump and Biden again, right? This is Trump part three and or election three, it's Biden election two. And he was part of the Obama years. 
I think from the kind of team red, team blue perspective, this is about as boring an election cycle as you could possibly get. And trying to have the sort of conflict that really gets people excited about paying attention to political media is hard to do. And this is the thing that I think the media has settled on, that this man, it's not that his performance, it's not his stances or his policies. It's not that there's been corruption or scandal. It's that he's old. And they're going to push this one as hard as they can. This cycles but her emails. But but it's it's not just the media, though, is it? If we look at British politics, I think we can all say that Margaret Thatcher is a, a woman from history now. She became the leader of the Conservative Party 49 years ago. There's a picture of her when she becomes the leader, and there's one US politician who is uh, patting her on the back. It's Joe Biden. That's He was already a senator then. No echelons of, of American government. He is old, but that doesn't mean that he can't necessarily do the job. Uh, but 62% of Americans do not think that he has the mental capacity and energy for a second term. And that is 30% more than think that of Donald Trump. Why is it there is a disparity between the two? Consider it, Mike, that Donald Trump is only four years younger than Joe Biden. Yeah, that's the fun thing. We seem to forget in this discussion that basically when Trump was a senior in high school, or sorry, when Trump was a freshman, Biden was a senior. So it's not like they're generations apart. I don't know that the, first off, they're right. Let's just strip the names. Let's strip the backgrounds. Let's strip the history. Putting two octogenarians into the most powerful position in the world is not a good idea. I'm sorry. I know 70s new 60 or whatever you want to say, but it's not good. But I don't think the left does itself any favors by acknowledging that fact. But I also don't think that 62% of people who don't think he's quite up for it, I don't know that translates into votes for Trump in any measure. You have people like me that are extremely far left that would, yeah, I would answer yes to that poll. I'm in that 62%. I just hope he surrounds himself with good people. But well, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if it means as much as uh, one might think. But that is the one thing that we can definitely say. We can say many things about Joe Biden's presidency, but he does have a competent team of people around him, as opposed to Trump when Trump was the president. So one of the contrasts between Biden and Trump's uh, approaches to government is what we perceive to be the accomplishments of of, of Biden. And as you said, Aaron, that he's been quite a boring president. He's got things done. He's had competent people around him. Whereas Trump is this kind of authoritarian fantasist, but he does display and portray a level of of energy, doesn't him? And I think that really plays into uh, voters' perceptions of whether one is a, a forgetful old uncle or one of them is somebody who at least feels energized, regardless of the nonsense he says about allowing Russia to bomb NATO countries. Uh, Mr. Kobeck, I don't know where I went with that kind of statement, but I'm sure you've got a decent answer for me. Thank you for estimating my capabilities so highly. Yeah, Biden seems old. Trump seems young because psychosis always has a sort of youthful break to it. I I find these arguments to be, there's no way of getting around it. Everybody's ancient and it's not good for the health of the Republic to have two people this old vying for the 
highest office in the land. Me, I'm a huge Biden fan. I may be the only one, but I am. Oh no, you're in you're in good company. But it's funny yeah. that we have you have two old elderly men, and it's not good for the health of the republic. The King of England is younger than both your presidential candidates. Yeah, it's not great, but there is a kind of ageism to this, which is. Biden is more visibly old. I'm not convinced that the things that make Biden look so old actually are that related to age. That is a dude who has had so much Botox that he has paralyzed his upper lip. If you watch him speak, he cannot move his upper lip. Put that on top of a guy who's had a speech impediment his whole life, and you throw in some age-related loss of muscular tension in the face, you get somebody who sounds much older than he is. But all of this piling on about Biden making mistakes, he was, do- he was doing that shit in 1970. He's never been a guy who's ever been particularly coherent. It's just that his incoherence sounds befuddled Whereas Trump's incoherence has a kind of television psychotic magic to it where it seems less bizarre. Yeah. It seems more bizarre, but also it seems less incoherent than it actually is. If you take Biden at that news conference where he messes up Egypt and Mexico. But I, I disagree with you because I think Mitterrand and Macron. I'll forgive anybody that slip, considering he was around when Mitterrand was a president. It, it wasn't as if he said Napoleon Bonaparte. Both presidents. Yeah, but this is a, but he's this is a guy. Both of them. The both the names begin with M, and he's a politician who speaks all the time. You're gonna make a slip. Whereas Trump, he's advocating for Mr. Fisher. Help me out here. Trump said if. NATO members don't pay their dues. Now, as if to say they're paying into a central coffer of which America is controlling. That's not the case. They don't pay their dues. He doesn't care if Russia goes and invades them. Mitron, Macron, and then that, Mr. Fisher, please, come on. It, it was actually even worse than that already terrible thing that you just said. What he said was if a NATO member hadn't paid their bills, not only, and they were attacked by Russia, not only would he not defend the NATO country, despite the treaty obligations, of course, he would actually encourage Putin to do whatever the hell he wanted. It's as bad as it can possibly get. There's just no sugarcoating that one. There's no putting lipstick on that pig. And it also has policy implications that mixing up names isn't going to ever have. It may look silly in a press conference or look confused, but... There is nothing about Biden administration policy that has made any sort of mistake like that. We haven't sent military aid to Mars or there there aren't actual ramifications to these things. There's their gaffes. And the guy has been the gaff machine, as noted before, his entire career. He was famous for it. So I really believe that this fixation is more media invention than anything else because they've got to build the fight. When you've got... Trump on the other side, who has words that don't sentence and sentences that don't paragraph, it's just nothing actually comes together in any kind of sensible way. It's hard to it's hard to argue 
that Biden is the one who makes less sense, unless you're just a completely hard partisan. And also just note, because this is a transatlantic podcast, this is where American politics is just so ludicrous. Across the pond, you've got prime minister's questions, which is, I can be pretty silly, but is a fundamentally serious concept where people actually are held accountable. And we're here talking about things that are so superficial and have so little to do with the actual material impact on Americans. It just blows my mind that this is even something that people are talking about to the extent that they are. There's part of me stridently agrees with you, but there's a not an insignificant part of me that says two gentlemen of their age, the natural biology that we go through means that we slow down after a certain age and that process becomes more marked the older we get. That is not at all to say that either of them couldn't do the job. I think one of them just painfully can't do the job. But I'm not saying that a 77-year-old necessarily cannot be the president of the United States. But if you look at the statistical likelihood, I forget after what age, after 77 or 75, there's a 7% likelihood you're not going to see out the year. And that goes up exponentially. So if you're looking at the second presidency, second term of Biden, if you're an actuary, if you're an insurance person, you're going to say he ain't going to make it. He's going to trip over and and break a hip and he's going to be incapacitated. And that's just human biology. Uh, but considering uh, President Biden's stance on re-election, that he's going to go do it, could he not, if pressure continues to mount, Mike, do a Lyndon Johnson in 1968 and go all the way to the convention and say that, basically, I'm not going to stand again. And that created a whole hullabaloo back in 1968. And that convention was in Chicago. Mike, guess where the convention is in 2024? Chicago. Oh, there you go. Well done. Could history repeat itself if we have, for the next, let's say, three months, gaff after gaff, whether they are warranted or not, whereby there's a certain pressure within the Democratic Party and they say, you know what, Uncle Joe, Sleepy Joe, you need to step aside. Well, then that seems to be the common talking point. No, because here's the thing, and you would know this being a, a longtime soccer fan. Football. You know, when you, your team... Is, I will mute you. Football. All right, sorry. If Birmingham City is about an, on a terrible streak and everybody's screaming to replace the coach. It's one thing to fire the coach. It's yet another to hire someone better than the person you have in place now. And as mentioned before, he has done, by all normal metrics, a really good job. He has already beaten Trump, so he's a proven winner. And so then you have to say, okay, then who? If not him, then who? Unfortunately, there's a paucity of real viable candidates. Obviously, Newsom comes to mind. I don't think it's likely. What I'm really worried about is his performance of the debates. I'm not really worried about the campaign trail. That stuff could be very much managed and controlled. But I am worried about a very energetic... Uh, Trump speaks loudly without saying anything, but sometimes that is effective. And I'm, I am worried about the debates. Jared, it, uh, Mike's right, isn't he? We should be worried about the debate with, with the kind of cut and thrust. That is where if you are not on your game, 
you're going to be exposed. And Trump is a bully. He doesn't say anything, but what he says it loudly and very forcefully. I think I I agree with the concern. I think it is presupposing that those debates are even going to happen. And you do have a candidate who won't debate. Trump has not debated anyone thus far. I'm not so sure that he's going to do the debates this time. I think it's all, I think it's probably mostly downside for him. But this is one of the things that I think has to be said relative to this concern about the aging. And it pains me to say this because this is a person I am enormously fond of who I don't know. It's a parasocial relationship. When people, I think one of the reasons why age has stuck on Biden in a very different way than Trump is for a variety of reasons, some of which are incredibly unsavory, some of which are not illegitimate. I think people are really freaked out by the prospect of Biden dying in office and Harris becoming the president. And I think a lot of this conversation is actually just a cipher about Harris without having to talk about Harris. Mm. Mr. F, let's maybe go through who could step in to the role of being the Democratic prospective presidential candidate if Biden decides that, you know what, I'm not quite up to this. Andy Bashir, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, as uh, Mike has, has said. Who else is in, in the frame? And of course, Kamala Harris. Who else is in the frame? Mr. F. And let's say if if Uncle Joe does step aside, who would you want? So first off, who's in the frame? And then who would you want? You're, you may not like me for this, but I'm just going to reject the question. I think everyone who's watching the American elections just needs to accept the fact that it's going to be Trump versus Biden. There is always a chance that a bolt of lightning will come from the sky and strike someone down. Mr. F. Let's not but, talk about meteorological acts of god this is a podcast yeah but it's just this isn't gonna happen it's not gonna happen it's going to be it's gonna be the the not the rematch that no one wants to see no one wanted to watch the first fight it was ugly it wasn't particularly entertaining things got even worse in between and now they're having a rematch no one wants to see it however it is going to be what we have to see. We are going I through know it. that but, you and, and the country is at a point. Mr. Fisher, I know that you have a car. Do you drive that car without insurance? <laughs> no. Insurance is Kamala Harris. That is who the insurance is right now. I don't believe that he's going to get struck down, that he's going to have some kind of health condition that leads to him not running. Other than that, people run. The only people who... I think can get the kind of numbers of delegates at the convention because you're forcing me to answer this question are, I don't think Andy Bashir has a chance in hell, but I do think that Gretchen Whitmer is on the list. Newsom's on the list. Kamala Harris is on the list. And there's probably a handful of other people who are long shots. And there's that history of, of history from a long time ago but a history of kind of dark forces showing up and, and becoming a consensus pick, like Mike Johnson did become Speaker of the House. 
It's possible. But this but is people just got to strap in, accept it. This is what's going to happen. Let me just jump in for a second. You are asking a crazy question anyway, because the much bigger question is what the fuck happens after Trump loses his trial in Manhattan, which is coming? Like he's not winning that trial. And that's happening on March 31st or something like that. That's starting. There is a criminal trial for one of these candidates. Nikki happening Nikki next Haley. month. Nikki Haley. You know, that there's the answer to that one. And I don't disagree with you fundamentally by saying that is a more pressing question. But as I said, if I was in the business of life insurance, I'd be telling you categorically that by the end of a Biden second term, there's about a 50% chance you will not be alive. That's just the mathematics of it. However, I do hear you, my friend. And on that note, I think what we should do is cross over the pond and dip our toe into UK politics because Boy, oh boy, has it been a confusing week. Tanya, Altrade, Diva Neal and Corey Bernard, be on your best metal, gentlemen, because you need to make sense out of this because I cannot make any sense out of it What's When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So ever. Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, has had a rough old time recently. This week came one, two and now three cases of anti-Semitism by Labour candidates being reported. But does any of it make any difference at all outside the Westminster bubble? There was an opinion poll by Savanta published today showing the Labour lead over the Tories falling quite sharply by seven points. Now, that's just one poll, but equally, it could be the beginning of an ominous trend for Labour. What mistakes have been made? I think uh, there was a mistake about the much-lauded uh, scrutiny of candidates. I think a mistake was made about how fast they moved the writ for this by-election. I think a mistake was made about the initial decision to stand by as a rally. Yeah. But if you stand back from that, he's also done something which I, I don't remember any major party leader doing, which is to sack the candidate 
in a by-election when he's expected to win. I've never seen anyone do that, and so I think there's a bit of wooden trees going on. This is new, though, of course, it might end up either with a, a candidate being elected into Parliament who doesn't have the Labour whip, who nobody really wants to be there and who has been disowned by the party, or indeed somebody like George Galloway, who is a lifelong yeah. loather of Keir Starmer, so it's not easy this time. No, and I, I mean, I know there were you know, Labour Jewish MPs who were saying privately over the weekend, stand by Azhar Ali because we don't want to provide a window for George Galloway to get in. So these decisions are complicated. A labour of controversy, anti-Semitism and factional struggles. We're going to look at the Labour Party's recent turmoil. We're going to look and discuss Martin Ford Casey's report on Labour's handling of anti-Semitism and the Rochdale by-election controversy. This week's focus is all about the terrible week that Keir Starmer is having, not standing up to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza and the attacks on his leadership from factions within the Labour Party. Steve, really set us into the framing of this week. What happened with this Labour Party uh, candidate up in Rochdale and why does it create such a firestorm within Labour Party ranks? So we're in a context that one of the ways that Keir Starmer and his team have rescued the Labour Party to the point that they are so far ahead in the polls is by stamping out and having a zero-tolerance line on anti-Semitism. And you've got a situation where we're only a couple of weeks away from a by-election in Rochdale where the Labour candidate had been caught on camera saying some pretty bad things, let's say, uh, that could be construed as anti-Semitic. And then Labour has had a wobble around distancing itself from the candidate. So it's backed him or said, he said, sorry, it's okay. And then more things come to light. And now it's distanced himself, distanced themselves from him. And obviously, to the public, one would imagine this doesn't look very good. And it's one of the moments, one of the few moments, to be fair, that Labour have had in recent months, years, that, that could be pretty damaging for how voters see them. Corey, how damaging is this going to be for Starmer? The polls have narrowed a bit, um, but Labour's lead is so big that I, 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 I generally don't know. I, I'm totally confused by this. One thing I do know is that there is um, the, the Muslim community within the United Kingdom is very staunchly Labour, and they are feeling uh, disenfranchised by the Labour Party's stance on what's happening in Gaza at the moment. But how damaging is this for the Labour Party? Corey, please enlighten me, because I genuinely don't know. I think it has the potential to be damaging, following on from what Steve was saying. I guess where I might diverge from Steve is I don't think it will be damaging. And the reason I don't think it will be damaging is because... The other, because the Tories, because Sunak, not the Tories, but Sunak is so bad. The way I think about politics in the UK right now, in terms of the two major parties, and especially leading up to the election, I see them both as cancelling out each other. I think they're both historically equally bad at communication, messaging, politics, whatever you want to call it. And maybe not them, not too much pressure on them, but them and their teams. Yes, I see. I agree with Steve in terms of the, the potential it has to be damaging, but I just don't think it will be. Just because I, I don't think the Conservatives right now are just they they don't seem able to capitalise on on anything that can give them that that edge to maybe narrow the polls a bit more. 
Tanya, no, they've given up. They've, they've given up clearly. Tanya, is it correct that the Labour Party is rife with institutional anti-Semitism? This report has come out and said there is most definitely a case to answer. Yeah, I think the short answer is yes. There are dregs of anti-Semitism that probably still remain within the Labour Party. I think Steve and Corey have really explained around the legacy about that Corbyn left in the party. And Stammer has done his best to try and stamp that out and really distance himself from the shadow of his predecessor. Um, but we still have this situation where a lot of the factional lines drawn within the Labour Party were based on anti-Semitism. Um, uh, people on the left and people on the right within the Labour Party, and there was a lot of in- in-house fighting. And whilst Stammer has done his best to try and distance that and try and clean up the party, there are still dregs of that remaining. And you can see it by some of the comments that are being made, some of the way that those comments are being communicated, the really lack of nuance in, in, in the way that those comments are delivered by some of their MPs, the response and the pressure that Stammer is on as well to try and deal with some of these things and, and the way he's dealt with some of them in terms of the speed, the alacrity and the decision making to actually remove the whip from these individuals. Uh, Steve, Slightly shifting this on a little, the Labour Party leadership is out of step with public opinion in the UK, which is most definitely against the response that Israel has meted out in Gaza. Some 30,000 Gazans have been killed, which is just beggar's belief on so many different levels. How significant is it that this week we've had the Labour leadership under Starmer moving from advocating for a humanitarian pause to now saying he wants a sustainable ceasefire. We have the SNP motion, which is about to hit Parliament. How important is it that there is some level of shift in Starmer's stance on a ceasefire in Gaza? I think it's important, and probably most of us wouldn't see that and think, oh, why is he that does that not happen sooner? We've all followed this awful conflict. But as it's gone on, as the, the consequences have become clearer, clearly the that that case has become stronger. And I completely understand why, politically speaking, Starmer would want to have been not out on a limb calling for a ceasefire early on. In fact, if anything he went, if you think about his comments early on in in the conflict, probably went too far the other way in supporting Israel's right to defend itself and was criticised for doing that. So actually, I think I think this is probably what you'd expect in the reaction and probably reasonably judged in terms of how he's moved his positioning politically, maybe a bit late. I, I don't know if it's hugely significant. I'm not sure the public are going to notice that, but I do agree with you, the public's view I think has shifted with the kind of the positioning of Starmer and other politicians. Look at what David Cameron has been saying recently. So, yeah, I, I would say actually not surprising. We're not, while significant, probably not going to change things in terms of domestic opinion, I would guess. Corey, Steve is correct in that Lord Cameron, the Foreign Secretary, has been probably the most vocal and, let's say, sceptic in British politics, a, a person of stature, shall we say, front bencher, in terms of censoring. Israel. I thought that was the job of the of the opposition. And why is it that Lord Cameron 
uh, is seems to be leading British opinion on what we should do with Israel, but also ha- seems to have the temperature of the British public as opposed to the Labour Party. So I don't think it's just Cameron. I think Cameron for sure, and he's definitely, as you say, in terms of status, definitely the most prominent. But even his predecessor, James Cleverly, I think he was, I think the Tories have outflanked Labour since the beginning on this. I think it, it stepped up definitely on the camera, as you said. But I think even going back, like I said, going back to James Cleverly and seeing some of his earlier media performances in sort of October, November, he was, even then, you could still see a difference, uh, a bit more of a, still support, but more of a tempered support even then. I think the reason is, the reason is why, the, the reason to, to my mind is simple. Maybe I'm being simplistic, but I think it's simple. I think it's simply that the Tories don't have the baggage of the, the sort of spectre of anti-Semitism that Labour have. And because of that, they're more free. They're, they're probably just they're, they're more free to say what they think as they see it. Whereas Starmer has been, in my, to my mind, paralyzed by this this spectre of, of anti-Semitism around the Labour Party. That it's just it's led to this sort of, in my mind, just single track thinking uh, without any kind of nuance, or tempering, or anything until the last couple of weeks. So I think the reason really is just a different the baggage. The Tories don't really come with any baggage on it. And Labour have got a hell of a lot of baggage and they've not managed that baggage well, in my opinion. Mm. And uh, Tanya, just for some historical perspective on this, that it's left of centre parties all over Europe historically have been pro-Palestinian. They've been, they support re- supported resistance movements in, in the Cold War and the PLO was most definitely one of those. So it is from a historical perspective, somewhat surprising. Forget the humanitarian perspective, the fact that 30,000 Palestinians have been killed in this conflict, that the Labour Party it isn't standing up. Yeah, it's wrestling. Um, and from the very start about of this, I it's probably the worst time for Stammer, this conflict arising at the very worst time when he felt like he could cruise himself to a win in the next elections, and this giving him a really massive headache. Very difficult for him, but at least I expected him to be very clear and strong on what the values and principles that he, he upholds here are. Do you want to cease fire? Do you want to make sure that people come to the, the negotiating table and avoid killing any much any more innocent citizens? And I think he shied away from that and gone away from what you've just mentioned around parties on the left being supportive of the Palestinian struggle and they are striving for their own territory and their own peace and their own occupation. But him being unable to really articulate what it means to be anti-Semitic and where the line should be drawn and supporting what it means to have a ceasefire in this region um, and his difficulty in being able to do that has led him to this mess. So yeah, it's a very strange outslip, I think Corey said, the pressure and the paralysis that he's felt has led him to where we are. Steve, I do want to come back to Starmer's decision-making process in all this, or at least let's say the speed of it. And maybe there's, maybe we can connect this to, to to Biden in a way. Uncle Joe is Uncle Joe, and he moves at Uncle Joe's speed. I would have thought that Starmer would have been much more fleet of foot with this. He would have a whole load of, if not policy uh, positions, but he would have the language of this sorted. And he so obviously hasn't. 
doesn't really bode well if he's in opposition and he's in this much of a model, if we're going to put him into government in the next nine months. So you, you mean on the Israel-Gaza issue rather than the candidate issue? I'm on about all of it, to be honest. All of it, yeah. I'm on about all of it. I, there is the whole candidate with Ali up in Rochdale. There, there is that. He is so out of step with Gaza. And i tell you one thing I will actually give him props for. Considering I would have thought the majority of Labour MPs are going to be pro-Palestinian statehood, he, he, he's managing to whip and control not only his front bench. I would have thought we've had one or two defect, one or two res, res, resignations by now. I know there have been a couple of junior ones. I thought we'd have had some bigger ones. So I'm going to give him some, some props there. However, the messaging to the British public seems to be completely out of whack, that he is behind, he's not behind Cameron in terms of what Cameron is saying, vis-a-vis Israel and the settlers in the West Bank, etc. But he is four or five steps removed from that. So the whole messaging around anti-Semitism, the messaging around Gaza and this conflict, he just doesn't appear to be on the ball. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I'm a bit surprised because like you pointed out, not only is the public opinion moved on this, but also I think it was reasonably predictable that it probably would go this way, given how horrible it was always going to get in Gaza. And, and Corey used the phrase outflanked. And I think possibly that is what's happened. If you think about that, that David Cameron has got a bit of head of the curve in terms of you'd expect to have quite a right position on this and he's moved more to a softer one. I am like you a little bit surprised that the star has not been more fleet of foot. I think he probably did the right thing politically to be fairly strong support of Israel early on. Maybe he wouldn't do it too far. I think I understand why he did that. I do agree. He probably should have softened a bit quicker. On the candidate thing, there's a couple of interesting things. One is that, of course, this fell after it was too late to change the candidate. And had it been a few months ago, let's say, or weeks ago, they could quite have easily have disowned this candidate and put a new one in, probably with not much fuss. And I do wonder whether that made a difference, because of course now there's no Labour-backed candidate in Rochdale, which is quite a big thing to do, and someone makes that point. The other thing that's a bit damaging here is that the candidate was perceived as being on the sort of Starmer side, more in the kind of middle of the Labour Party, the middle centrist. And the thing that causes difficulty for Stalmerites, and I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that is, is a supporter of him, is that the left of the party, or many colleagues who are, will say it's one rule for them, another rule for us. And that is a bit damaging for internal morale in this case. I'm not suggesting that Ash played a role, but that's how it looks. So yeah, as colleagues have pointed out, yeah, it's a very awkward week for all those reasons. Sorry, it's caught muted up. Corey, I'm going to leave, leave the last word to you, sir. You know, it can't be underestimated, and I've said this about three or four times, that public opinion is changing in, in Britain. There was the outrage of October the 7th, and it was only right and proper to call that to, out as um, an outrageous act. But we now have the International Court of Justice saying there is a case to answer for genocide. We, I've mentioned the 30,000 Palestinians which have died, but also just this week we've seen a Dutch court basically say no to, to arms sales to, to, to Israel. And throughout Europe, we are seeing leaders 
say that Israel has a case to answer in terms of genocide and the prosecution of its war in in Gaza. With, with that in mind, how important is the role of Cameron and the British government in terms of putting extra pressure on Netanyahu and uh, his government uh, to modify, ameliorate, stop their uh, genocidal behaviour in Gaza or is there nothing that uh, European governments can even do? I really don't think there is. I know that sounds quite fatalistic and pessimistic, but I just think it's just it's the reality of it, right? I think nothing short of America pulling the billions that they send to Israel every year will move the dial one jot. I don't. The Israeli government do not care what the Dutch government, the Dutch courts say the Dutch government can do. I, again, I don't think they care really what the British government do. I don't think they even, they well, don't think based on all the leaks, not even just leaks, but the things that we've seen government ministers in Israel saying publicly, based on everything they've said, I don't even think they care about what uh, the US uh, government says. I think the only thing that matters is what the US government does. And at Congress, the Senate, at least, not the House of Representatives, if I'm correct in thinking, the Senate just signed off a $17 billion aid package uh, this week. So I, I genuinely don't think there is anything that, that European governments say or even do that would move the dial one jot. I really don't. It, it is the... We have allowed Israel historically to act with impunity in the West Bank and in Gaza, and we're reaping what we've sown now in, in the West. I lied before when I said that, Corey, you're going to have the last word. Tanya, I'll only give the last word to you. I'm not quite as pessimistic as Corey in terms of um, what can be done. Because I think governments have a, a powerful role in creating symbols and whether it is the end of apartheid uh, in the 80s and then um, in the early 90s when it actually fell, this was governments around the world saying, we're not going to trade with you, we're going to embargo South Africa in, in many meaningful ways. And it did build up a head of steam, even though the US and the UK were still uh, blithely trading with South Africa and putting on the most softest of sanctions. So I think it is important, uh, whether you are the Dutch government or the Irish government and whatever, that you say this and you say it in the international court of opinion, because one by one, it actually does have an effect. But I appreciate that um, if America is, is signing off um, military bu budgets of billions uh, to Israel, it feels pretty hopeless. Uh, what says you, sir? Yeah, I, I disagree, Corey, on this one. South Africa have shown that by willingness and by the intent to do the right thing, they can start making a difference. And by taking that case to the ICJ, South Africa have shown that with boldness and courage, they can stand up to people or their friends and tell them um, when they're doing something wrong. And I completely agree that countries in Europe and governments in Europe should one by one stand up and speak when they see something wrong happening. Because we set the principle of how maybe the next 50, 80, 100 years will, will roll from how we manage this conflict, especially what's happening here, what's happening in Ukraine. And the way that we deal with this is going to set that precedent going forward for future generations that are coming up who, who really have no 
great appreciation of the Second World War that have led us, that have markedly led how we we related with each other across the world for the last 70 years or so. So now is the time for these governments to stand up. Now is the time for them to speak to America and really mark their own opinion of, of these events and for America to redress their actions going forward. Yes, sir. Very quickly, gents, we're going to ask you what you've been up to in the last seven days and where people catch up with you on social media. So, Mr. F, why don't you tell us what you've been doing in the last seven days and uh, where people find you on social media? Uh, you can't find me on social media. I, I lurk watching you. You don't get to watch me, unfortunately. I'm not a big social media person except for the need to use it professionally. I have been applying AI to politics, though, which is a super fascinating project I'm part of that I can't talk about too much, but maybe another day. Um, As it turns out, there is a right and a wrong way to use AI politics like any other tool, and we are trying to do it the right way. More to come. There you go. Mr. All Trade, over to you, sir. Enlighten us. Last seven days. You been up to any hijinks? Oh. I've been reading. I've been reading Secret Virus stuff. Um, yeah, stories of the law and how it's broken. Yeah, it's very fascinating. What goes on in our grand old justice system? There's probably uh, which we should do about the decrepitness of the British legal system. The fact that it's been massively underfunded in the last what twelve years. And things are quite literally a, a breaking point. Yeah. We, we've gone from, in the last, what, 20 years from having a, a legal aid system which was fantastic, you could be broke and have the best barristers to defend you, through to now having a legal system which is barely not working because of Tory austerity. But anyway, social media, give us your handles quickly. On Trade the Great, on Twitter, I don't use it much. I can be found on there. I, I, I love the modesty. I love the modesty. <laughs> uh, what about the Magnificent? Why don't you just go for it? Be like Suleiman, Afterman and Sultan. <laughs> Mr. Corey Bernard, what about you, sir? Last seven days, what have you been up to? Uh, following on from your, the, the legal theme, just burying my head in contract law. Very fun. I think as I've mentioned before, I've for, for some reason decided to go back to academia and I'm studying laws. Yes, contract law, the fun thrills of contract law that's been taking up my week really that's about it uh, did you finish that phd i can't remember which labor minister of, of old wrote that phd on something oh well, yeah john reed's phd on the economy of the kingdom of dahomey in the mid-19th century no i have not read all 500 pages of the former home secretary's phd but i will and the day i finish it i will come back with a full summary for you Wow. Do you know what? I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for that, mate. Steve O'Neill, over to you, sir. Social media handles, what you've been up to in the last seven days? So nothing so intellectual, I'm afraid, but I did manage to make it over to Italy to Milan to see a football game, which was amazing in the San Siro, which is, I think, being retired soon. So that was quite an experience. I'm on Steve Zero Neil at Twitter. I, yeah, probably lurk more than I tweet, but always welcome more followers or comments or whatever else. Just on the whole Milan thing, because I must admit, I I somewhere have a, an Inter shirt, which I can't fit into anymore. My middle-aged bread means that I cannot get into this thing anymore. However, has anybody heard the new Kanye West song? 
It's Milan Ultras who are doing the whoa. Is that right? Yeah, and it's my son's been playing it to a point of just driving me nuts. And I said to him today, when did that come out? It went last week. And I thought this thing, this song had been out for much longer. It's because it's fundamentally a football show. And then you look online and it's Milan Ultras, Milan football fans who, who, who are doing it. It's up into football and football heritage. I tell you what, the Ultras, they're really, got, they're really good voice. I can tell you that. They were drowning the place out. So maybe, maybe he's on the side there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I, I tell you, the gaff to go some way to be sixty thousand Welshmen singing at Cardiff Arms Park in nineteen eighty five when I was playing wing rugby for school, and we went down to Cardiff Arms Park to see Wales play the President's Fifteen. Holy camoly! Hairs on the back of my neck went up. And I've never gone down since. That was something else. However, Milan Ultras, I'm sure they can hold a tune too. Just as an American, quickly, if you're looking for some sort of trade, Kanye West is definitely on the block. If you'd like to send someone back the other direction, we'll take pretty much anybody. Good <laughs> reset. <laughs> Lawrence Fox, Lawrence Fox, have Lawrence Fox. Back. Oh yes, yes, yes. have Lawrence. That that's a good shout. Yes. It's it's. I actually have a question. Is his father terrible, too? Lawrence Fox's father is the actor James Fox, who was in a really... He was in one really good movie, but I, he had some period of... Is that James Fox as in Edward and Mrs. Simpson, James Fox? I believe so. Oh, you did, isn't it? I didn't know that was his... Yeah, his dad was in oh, performance. So ashamed of his son. No, but he was a right-wing guy, too, at one point. After he did Donald Campbell and Nicholas Roeg's performance, which is, by the way, one of my favorite films, which is why I care at all, he freaked out and became, like, some kind of hardcore Christian missionary and then returned to acting later. So, anyway, I don't know why I care. Listen, your knowledge on British actors of yesteryear and their offspring is pretty impressive considering you're sat in California, so props to you, sir. If I was wearing a hat, I'd take it off. So, social media and the last seven days, sir. First off, uh, what, what you, what's your handle <laughs> and what you've been up to? My lack of using social media has been positively reviewed by The Guardian. So, you wrote a book saying that you hate the internet. Yeah, no, I think my Twitter handle is Taylor Swift. 13 that's her actual handle which is a joke no one would know i've just been working on stuff i can't really talk about it oh i've watched a, I've, i re-watched speaking of british actors i i re-watched the two alec guinness bbc adaptations of john le Carre's two novels tinker taylor and then also smiley's people Reminds me, aren't you supposed to be in England, right? Yes, but there's been some health issues, so I had to delay it. You know what? We've yeah. got hip top National Health Service. If you yeah, I heard that. Come over. I, <laughs> we'll we'll patch you up, make you all good again. You just have to sell in a very long queue. Aren't they? Are are they really selling all of the information to Peter Thiel? Oh, listen, stop. Uh, I just, you know what? This country. 
of ours used to be pretty decent up until about, I don't know, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, and then something terrible happened. Anyway, I'm going to say no more, other than to say this, left to centre politics is right thing in politics. Look after yourselves, look after your loved ones, do the right thing. If you have a ballot in front of you, put the X where it's going to make the most difference for the most amount of people in a positive way. And also, I'm going to say goodbye to Aaron Fisher, Tanya Altred, Corey Bernard, Steve O'Neill, Jared Kobeck, and of course, to my Donahue. Take care, look after yourselves. We'll see you all again another seven days for another Rip Roaring Barnstorming episode where we will run the rune over US and UK politics and maybe it'll be the odd episode of a long-form interview thrown in too. Take care, look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.